0: Welcome to Forefront Radio, Forefront's podcast series featuring philanthropic, nonprofit and sector leaders who are making a difference in Illinois and beyond. Forefront is unique for being the nation's only association that represents both philanthropy and nonprofits, as well as their advisors and other allies of the sector. Our mission is to build a vibrant social impact sector that improves the quality of life for all people of Illinois. Learn more about Forefront and how to join at myforefront.org/join. I'm Kathleen Murphy, Director of Communications at Forefront. Today on Forefront Radio, we'll have a conversation with George A., Co-Founder and Director of Innovation at Greater Goods Studio, as well as Raisa Allaire, Chief Operating Officer of the Center for Economic Progress. We'll talk about human-centered design, that buzzword that seems to have taken over the social impact sector. We'll talk about what it is and why it's so important for nonprofits. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for Thank having you us. George, tell me a little bit about how you got the idea for Greater Good Studio and how it came about.
1: Sure. Um, So Greater Good Studio has been around for about five years, and uh, it came from a couple of different threads of observations that I had in my career um, as a design consultant. So prior to Greater Good Studio, I'd worked as a designer at a company called IDEO in Chicago. It's a renowned global innovation studio, and we've done a lot of work uh, using design to solve for complex business problems. Um, after uh, about seven years at IDEO, I left and started working at the Chicago Transit Authority. And at the CTA, um, I was their first human-centered designer. I started noticing a very large gap in how design was used uh, within public services. I started to realize that perhaps my career might have more of a longevity using design to solve for complex social problems. And that was sort of the genesis with my co-founder wanted to start the studio.
0: And tell me about why human-centered design is so important for the social impact sector.
1: Right, so this one's a good one. So uh, so human-centered design, I think, is um, has gone for a long time under the radar, I think, within the social impact field. Um, it probably the very first inklings of it was maybe 10 to 15 years ago, at the very earliest, but it's really become very, very popular in the last five or so. Uh, prior to that, uh, human-centered design, I think, has been most known for Working on, uh, like I said, pre- pre- complex business problems, but usually it's applied to um, the creation of new products and services around perhaps like a technology outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, what actually at Human Centered Design at, does at its, at its core is observe people's behavior in context and then design a response. And I think what's so great about it is that when you apply uh, that type of thinking to complex social issues, the observational power of seeing people in their context, is very, very handy for for figuring out so what people are really doing, as opposed to what they'd say they're doing. And then when we come up with responses, it's a very helpful way in designing new ideas with low risk. So the application of human-centered design in the social sector actually is a really natural fit, but it took us so long to get there because I think design, which is broader than human-centered design, design has had such a shiny veneer for so long that it's been kept at a distance from, from social impact work. Um, either, I think, I'd i say quite rightly so. I think social impact folks have been a little bit wary of designers because we come across as being a little pretentious, I'd say. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of black frame glasses like the one I'm wearing. Uh, there's a lot of fancy words. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of shininess to it. And I think it's taken our studio for a long time to try and figure out how to talk about design without it becoming a distancing factor, without it becoming alienating. Um, and without um, assuming that we might already know the answer.
0: How did you two meet? How did you decide that you needed to do this? Well, tell me a little bit of background about your project, I guess.
2: Sure. So just to step back, Center for Economic Progress, or CEP, uh, is turned 25 in 2015. And with any anniversary, it was a, a time to, to pause, to reflect, and then to renew. So, you know, we paused, we looked at it, our flagship programs, and we really took stock of what we did well, what we didn't do well, and looked at our brand promise, which is really service with dignity. So CP provides free tax and financial services to low-income families um, throughout Illinois. And we decided that moving forward, we wanted to become this transformational 21st century organization. So figuring out how to take this flagship program that we have, which was free tax preparation, and start to experiment and innovate and figure out how to do things better so that we we met our brand promise. And so as part of this culture shift, uh, we wanted to hold a staff retreat. And we've been to many staff retreats where it was like this long day training and you weren't quite energized, and you oh, didn't really have any the practical they're tools. The yes. Yeah, were um, I mean, there was good food and everything like that, <laughs> uh, but we wanted to do something a little bit different, and we heard about uh, Greater Goods Studio and some of the really cool things they were doing, and my whole impetus for doing the staff retreat this way was really not only to inspire our staff to renew their stake in this mission and try to take those little bets, but also... Um, giving them some practical tools. And so George uh, and Anne-Marie from his uh, studio came in and held a long, full-day workshop, but really based it on human-centered design. So there was a lot of pre-work that happened uh, to make that retreat as, as meaningful and practical as possible. So they visited one of our um, service sites and did some observations. Um, and then we, we spent the whole day talking about how might we better this experience um, from the feedback that we got and just the energy, uh, it was such a great, great day. It was CP at its best moment. Uh, staff felt inspired. And I was just telling George, we just had a training, and I saw our staff uh, taking those little bets, right, experimenting. And the big takeaway for me from that day was um, there's, a, there's a tendency for nonprofits to uh, not want to experiment. They have to make things perfect in order to try something new. But that day was like an aha moment for me because you can you can take these little bets, make these little observations and try something without it looking that pretty to see if it's a road that you should travel down. Um, and again, like uh, George and Anna Marie gave us such great tools that we've been practicing these past few months and um, we're excited.
0: That's awesome. George, what were some of those things you were looking for at those site visits? Yeah. Um.
1: I think one of the things is just to simply see what's really happening. And what that means is looking at the messiness without bias. Um, we talked about this earlier about sort of having uh, designers kind of using words to be at a distance. I think that some of it comes from being a, becoming a consultant. But I think also designers tend to s- assume they might already know how to fix something. One of the things that we've had to unlearn for ourselves as designers in the social sector is to maybe not assume anything at all until we see it for ourselves. And what we saw was an amazing level of uh, love and pride for the work that was happening. So not only were the volunteer services uh, at the site um, done with great care, but done with great professionalism. We also saw a lot of appreciation by the uh, clients that they were serving, who said to us in interviews um, how there's nothing else like this. So we found enormous amount of empathy for each other's role being spoken very clearly to us. We also saw uh, moments of frustration by the clients as well as by the volunteer staff. And we also saw perhaps some moments where um, there were sort of a general vibe as to the kind of environment that that individuals who are receiving these services live in. There was one particular quote that I remember from our our interview where a participant said to us, um, CEP services was one of the few times where I didn't feel poor. And that struck Uh such a chord for me because she said that in many other services that she's been recently um, interfacing with, that's a constant refrain, and that she's reminded constantly of how poor she is. And uh, I remember thinking, this is a moment of dignity for her, and that who wants to go through that? Who would want to actively be reminded of how poor they are? Right. That just seems miserable. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily something that anyone chooses to go through, but they they have to.
2: It's interesting that you picked that quote, because I've been using that quote. It's a killer I... quote. In my remarks to our site managers, who are our frontline ambassadors, to our board, to our staff. And it, I mean, it is, it's that brand promise, that service with dignity. And I think the the reason why I liked Greater Good Studios' approach to our work was there was, it didn't put our staff in a defensive, mm-hmm. which I think, not all consultants, but I think that there's a fear of oh, consultants coming Oh, they're going to tell us everything that's wrong with, with what we're doing, and and we've only got so limited resources. But their approach was, these are our observations. How might we do X, Y, Z, right? And the buy-in from the staff at the front end that were really invested in the work. So when, when it came down to the staff retreat, it was – a moment of creativity, uh, moments of being inspired, and moments of working together to come up with some really interesting solutions.
0: That's amazing. So it's, and then tell me what happened at the staff retreat. So you do these site visits, you make these observations, and then what?
1: So, so something that was really cool for us is that uh, we've never done this before until, until you guys, so it was a chance to try something new. We did audio-only recordings, actually not too similar to this, but with a slightly less offensive setup, okay. with um, those research participants. And then we were able to clip together the audio clips Um, with our synthesized findings to say, here's what we've been hearing, and edit together almost NPR-ish, although that's being being generous, um, little audio stories to say, here's what's happening in the field. And we played that back out to folks at the retreat so they could remember the environment, the sort of background noises, and also the words of those who were going through the experience from volunteers and the client perspective. And um, something I might back up or two to say is that not just did we do uh, some research and then kind of go through the workshop, but I think we tried very carefully to um, design the engagement that you and I went through, as well as the staff went through. So that means designing all of the prep work before anyone shows up. Because here's, this is the basic reality. In preparation for, this, for for the actual workshop itself, one can hear rumor or, or signaling that the kind of experience it will be like. So when I show up on the day as a participant, I kind of know with some sort of preparation. Um, what can be troubling sometimes is if you don't hear anything at all, then you are naturally a little defensive because you don't know what you're stepping into.
0: Yes.
1: Knowing that that might be a gap, um, for us as design consultants, um, we are conscious of trying to design not just the moment when we engage as a, as a uh, client to professional, but rather the entire engagement itself. So all of the preamble before the workshop I think can be designed. And for us, all that means is giving all of the right stakeholders an opportunity to hear and vet and maybe decide what needs to change prior to the actual workshop. And I think when you offer people some wiggle room in controlling what the outcome might be, not only do they feel as though, okay, well, this isn't completely out of my hands and this isn't just happening to me, but that I might actually want to, I might want to show up um, with the attitude of changing something. And I think for us, we take that with a lot of care uh, because we know that there's a lot of previous trauma that can happen by consultants with, with clients and consultants in the social sector, I think, are just as vulnerable of that trauma as anyone.
0: I want to talk about not only designing staff retreats, but nonprofit program delivery.
1: So one of the great things that we do um, in Human-Centeredness, I think, is try to do prototypes. And I think, you know, CEP Sunny have been doing this uh, since the workshop, but the idea, I think it's a phrase you've been using, small bets.
2: Little bets, making small bets. Yeah. yeah,
1: making small bets, which means if you can make a small bet the risk associated with that bet is also small. Uh, we made this analogy back at the, at the workshop around how a lot of nonprofits, when they roll out a program, it is traditionally kind of a big to-do. Even a pilot can be a bit of a big to-do. Uh, and this analogy goes where, if you've ever been to someone's house for dinner, like Thanksgiving dinner, and it's clearly you show up and it's been someone has been spending a lot of time making it, and if the dinner kind of sucks, <laughs> what do you say? You say, great. Can I have some seconds? Yeah, you you yeah. kind of like, you don't tell them honestly what really is, is up with the right. food. Even if they ask you, can you tell me what the food is like? You say, oh, this is great. You kind of grit through your teeth and eat it. If, on the other hand, someone just said, Give you a sandwich, okay, a sandwich, and they say, hey, what's the sandwich like? You're more likely to say, yes or no, give it a thumbs up, to you, give it a thumbs down. I think a lot of programs, when they're in pilot phase, feel like the Thanksgiving dinner. It's like a big to-do. There's a lot of emphasis, there's a lot of effort, there's a lot of, clearly a lot of energy spent. And when you ask someone for feedback, they're kind of obliged to be nice. Even if necessarily they had something to say, it would be mean, unnecessarily mean for you to say something that wouldn't be sort of more constructive. So if there's a sandwich version of that Thanksgiving dinner that you're thinking of rolling out, try the sandwich first. I know that sounds really crazy but there might be a smaller, lighter, cheaper way of getting to that answer of yes or no than you currently are thinking.
2: Right, and I think that was, so the two big aha moments uh, that that came about from our staff retreat was exactly that, like your prototypes don't have to be fully flushed out. You can test something in a um, low risk, easy way to see if it's a road that you want to venture. Uh, And the other aha moment was uh, we don't do enough dress rehearsals right so i think um you know when when we went through uh the staff retreat we we tend to plan 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 and and kind of debut and maybe the step of just pausing and doing a quick run through like how restaurants have um you know the open house and kind of the the soft opening and so i i think it the staff retreat was great because it it allowed us to think about ways of delivering programs Um, and making those like little bets. Um, Part of the staff retreat was not only giving our staff practical tools, but also really creating a culture of innovation, of trying new things. Um, Because if you don't, the little bets is a Peter Sims uh, quote, but if you don't try those little bets, then you kind of risk the the stagnation as an organization. So we want to give our uh, employees not only the tools, but the freedom to, test and make some mistakes and try things.
0: Can I have an example of one of the tests or one of your little bets?
2: Sure. So I was just telling, I was just telling George that uh, after the staff retreat, um, you know, and we've been talking about this because I, I, I think in, in our, my remarks to our staff and, and just modeling, it's important to not only create a culture that just happens one day, but to really emphasize it and emphasize the things that are important and these values that are important. So uh, we recently had a a site manager training, which site managers are our frontline ambassadors. And it was lovely to see our staff rethink these trainings uh, in a whole different way, Um, not only from the agenda, but how they engaged the activities that they did, because they could have very easily done what we've been doing the past few years. But they took these little bets, new technology, new ways of delivering activities, and it was a completely different experience uh, for our frontline ambassadors, who are really our brand ambassadors. Yeah. Um, and again, it's it's just that spirit of taking some risks and doing new things.
0: That's amazing. Do either of you have any advice for a nonprofit who might be looking to innovate in this kind of way? See, George. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, I think that there's... there's um, Perhaps a quick assessment of your readiness. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think that some of it could be, uh, depending on where you are, if you're a listener, uh, where you are in your readiness may even not be the same as the rest of your organization. Um, and I think what that might mean is that you might be hot and bothered around wanting to for change, but not everybody sees that the same mm-hmm. way. Um, building a little momentum internally might not be a bad start. Uh, one of the principles we often look to is, um, if you feel as if something is happening to you, you can feel as though things are out of your control. So when you are trying to do change for your organization, how can you open up opportunities for people to feel as though they can affect that change so that they don't feel as though they're subject to your vision for the future, but rather you're part of this change as well. Um, if you do feel like you want some external help, there are a lot of different places you can talk to. Um, certainly, Graduate would be one of them, um, but I think that there's a lot of online resources for around how thinking about human-centered design could affect social impact, thats only that I think is true. Um, What we do as a student whenever we get a call from a potential client is to kind of do some of that readiness assessment with you on a call and try to see, is this the right framing? Um, And I think what we find is that sometimes you have an idea of what you think design is or what human-centeredness is, and actually that's not what you need at all. Sometimes we've even turned down clients just because what they really need is someone who can just make a website for them. And sometimes that is what we do. Um, But in some cases, we might uncover actually that there's a deeper need that hasn't really been articulated. And then we kind of get, we typically get pretty excited Mm -hmm. about that. Um, And then we might find that there's a different project at hand. Um, But I think for a lot of organizations, we um, recognize that uh, everyone is on a spectrum. I think a spectrum of readiness for change. And I think within your organization, um, you might be on the forefront of what that might be and be willing to sort of wait a little for others to come along but if you if you offer your hand out we've got to kind of give a kind of a commitment to not let go of them if they said they want to try uh, and we try to do that with our clients as well because we think that not everyone is ready at the same time but my hands open like if you want to try something new we'll, we'll not let go
2: that's right i think that there's i mean that's a great point about readiness i mean when cp's case you know we we did have a lot of change that year um, and we really Made sure as leaders uh, to model and create opportunities, understanding that people are going to be in different, different comfort levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that we we try to to integrate is whether it was through our staff meetings or through the words that we or the behaviors that we rewarded, or um, is really this idea of what was important, and what needed to move the organization forward. Which is thinking about how to experiment, whether it's a new a new format in accounting. Like every every part of the agency has um, some room for experimentation, and we really try to make it a safe space. In that, there are going to be little bets that aren't going to work, right? I mean, I, I, but I think the value of knowing that those little bets didn't work is actually your time chasing something down. Sure. Um, I think with nonprofits, especially, there's. 500 things that you have to do. So, um, the value of of taking little bets is um, eliminating the 480 things that don't work. Right. For us, at least, it's about striving to create like this culture of excellence from the front line to the boardroom. So, by doing so, we constantly have to take those little bets, or we risk stagnation. So, um, so again, like from from the staff to the board, like how are we doing things? What are we doing really well? Where can we improve? What are the observations that we're seeing to, to be the best? Mm-hmm. This is amazing. Thank yeah. you
0: both for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Great, well. Thank you. That's great. Thanks. Listeners, we hope that you'll join us for our February 28th webinar, Prototype Before You Pilot, Human-Centered Design for the Social Sector. George A. from Greater Good Studio will lead the session. Participants will learn principles that can help your nonprofit work smarter, faster, more efficiently to meet the real needs of the people you serve. It's free to participate. You can register at myforefront.org slash events. To learn more about Greater Good Studio, visit their website at greatergoodstudio.com. For more information about Forefront and how to join, visit myforefront.org slash join. Be sure to subscribe to Forefront Radio on iTunes so you don't miss an episode, or find us via SoundCloud. If you like what you heard, send us a tweet at MyForefront.